Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. Out, space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy, and if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number one. Ten things to know. Written by Ack1308. Vanex activated the news receiver and accessed the latest feed. His primary and secondary antennae drooped as he assimilated the data burst. Far from dying away, the revolutionary cause was gaining more and more conscripts to its ranks every solar cycle. The war, unexpected on one side, meticulously planned out on the other, was going badly for those who merely wished peace and harmony with one another. Ironically, it was the military, or rather one particular colonel, around which the revolution had formed, over some half-conceived notion that they were going to be phased out. This wasn't true, Vanix had checked. But now, if the desperate measures he planned on paid out, there would be definitely need to be checks and balances put in place to prevent it from reoccurring. He switched channels and the pamphlet that had been sent in response to the request for information about hiring mercenaries. He'd sent the request to every alien embassy in the capital, but only the Terrans had replied. Calling him up now, he began to read carefully. Hiring Human Soldiers Important Facts to Know 1. Humans are not robots. Their comfortable temperature ranges between freezing point of water and 40% towards boiling point of water. 2. Humans need sleep. Approximately one-third of any given period of time is taken up by humans voluntarily lapsing into a state of unconsciousness. This is harmless as they will recover on their own. Medical attention is not required. Arrange shifts accordingly. 3. Humans will ingest an astonishingly wide variety of food and imbibe virtually anything that can be bottled, even if it should not have been. They are particularly fond of putting seasonings such as salt, capsaicin, sugar, and alcohol in their food and drink. Do not ingest human food without having it tested first. Number 4. When under combat stress, humans naturally secrete a controlled combat enhancement drug, nephrine, also known to the humans as adrenaline from a placement of an organ that secretes it. They also have it in an injectable form, just in case. Number 5. Humans will pack bond with any sentient species that pays them any sort of attention. Some have been known to pack bond with their weapons and tools. If a human pack bonds with you, then you have a loyal comrade for life. Number 6. Humans can register sexual attraction on virtually any species that looks even vaguely humanoid and bears some level of resemblance to the preferred gender. Drunk humans lack the filters to sober humans possess. If you get drunk with a human who has praised any part of your body, be prepared to wake up in a compromising position. Number 7. Humans do not have warrior caste. Any human can learn how to fight and kill. The more experienced ones are good at it. The newbies are just enthusiastic. Number 8. Over their history, humans have invented a staggering variety of weapons, some of which look like a result of someone losing a wager. 
Their soldiers are very, very good with their weapons of choice. Number nine, humans have been doing war for far a long time now. They are extremely good at it, so much so that they've evolved a series of rules to regulate how they do things. If a human soldier refuses to execute prisoners or perform some other atrocity, it is a good idea to get along with it. You want to keep the humans on side. Number 10. Humans do not fight for honor or glory or the right to mate, or rather, they do that in their own downtime for fun. When humans go to war, they fight to win. Note number one, water, H2O, dihydrogen monoxide, a free liquid on the human worlds, is known to cause oxidation, especially in ferrous metals. Humans bathe in it and drink it on a regular basis. Note number two, this is a genuine physical and psychological need. Preventing humans from getting their daily rational sleep can be dangerous to both the human and yourself. Note number three. Sodium chloride, only toxic to some species. Humans have oceans full of it, which they swim in. Note number four. They say it adds spice. Do not ingest spicy turned food, even as a bet. Note number five. An energy source, but humans ingested in quantities that should be by rights that be able to lift a satellite into orbit. Do not ingest a Terran sweet pastries or energy drinks if you wish to remain sober and sensible. Number six, usually ethanol. Humans treat this as a recreational drink. They can ingest even a 1% solution without significant impairment. Do not try this if you are not human. Number seven, Taking this drug into your body carries a chance that you will become an unstoppable, frenzied killing machine. Then your hearts will explode and, and you'll die. Number 8. Do not mess with anything that a human has pack bonded with. The results will be unpleasant. Number 9. There is a growing amount of anecdotal evidence to support the idea that some species reciprocate this attraction. Most military commanders have a I-don't-even-want-to-know attitude. Number 10. A major human youth organization has its roots in proposed parliamentary force. This explains so much about humans. Number 11. If they run out of ammunition, lose their weapons, or didn't have one to start with, humans are terrifyingly adept at using an unloaded or broken range weapon in melee, or even improvising weapons out of ordinary items. There is even a regimen from training, affordable to non-soldiers, that trains them to fight effectively without weapons. Never assume that a human is unarmed or harmless. Number 12. These rules are not there to protect humans. These rules are there to protect everyone from humans. Trust me, you do not wish to get into the cycle of escalation with humans. It never ends well. Note number 13. For the very specific definition of fun. Having fun reading this, do you still want to hire human mercenaries? Except decline. Vanex took a deep breath. Every instinct he had told him that whichever way he went, the repercussions would be long-running and unpleasant. Of course, in one of the two instances would he still be around to experience the consequences. Reaching out with a sense of someone tossing a first pebble that starts an avalanche, he tapped, except. End of story. Story number two, The Scary Sound, written by Ak 1308. 
Only 17 out of the 550 dropships made it off the planet. Three were leaking so badly that half of the evacuated soldiers died before they made it back to the motherships, and two lost power altogether, tumbling back into the atmosphere as their comrades watched, helpless. As the 15 surviving ships, horrifically damaged, docked with the respective vessels, the vice-admiral in charge of the fleet was already giving orders to withdraw from the system. The screams of honor and the begging for any kind of reinforcements had shaken him more than he wished to admit. It was clear that the natives of this planet called Terra were well acquainted with war, to the point that his hardened troops had never stood a chance. Have the surviving officers attend my ready room as soon as they are able, he ordered, and then withdrew to begin writing up his own report. The mission, to harvest bioorganic matter, had been badly conceived from the start. He'd had virtually no input in the planning stage, though, in all fairness, he wasn't sure how his input would have changed matters. After a time later... Twenty-eight officers, commanders, and seconds in command filed into the Praarush's ready room. He waited until they had gotten themselves settled and then inflated his primary lung. We've lost over 10,000 soldiers, as well as thousands of trained pilots, over the 500 dropships. Do we know that all of the dropships were destroyed, all the personnel killed? There was a nervous silence as the officers breathed only via their secondary lung keeping the primary inflated in case they were called upon to speak. After it had dragged on for altogether too long, he pointed towards a senior officer of the drop corp. Major Karlak, I know that you don't know, but give me your best guess. Karlak, clearly uneasy to be singled out like that, shifted as though to hide behind his fellow officers, but eventually he stood firm. Sir, I would guess no. Braash made a gesture of agreement. This is also my guess, so unless they're entirely technically blind and deaf, they will be repairing what damage was done and integrating our men, their prisoners, regarding their operation and maintenance. Karlak second, a spindly fellow who looked as though he could be knocked over by a strong air current, raised up his primary manipulator. Braash gestured to him. Yes? Um, sir... The maintenance manuals were stored on the dropships, so the techs would know where to find them. Within his mind, Praarash likened the silence that fell once more to akin to a deep and sucking swamp. It threatened to drag all of them down with it, as they took up the implications. With the manuals, the Terrans had everything they needed to repair and fly the dropships. Wonderful. I take it back from your lack of argument that Terrans are technically adept. Ash tried the dark humor, missed altogether, and ended up rubbing his men's faces in their failure. Yes and no, sir. That was Kawalak. They don't have the gluten blaster or the neutrino rifle. Their weapons take a solely chemical kinetic in nature. Brarash barely restrained himself from shouting at the major. He breathed deeply, inflating and deflating his primary lung a couple times, until his reactions were under control. How... Did they beat you then? His confusion was understandable. The society which had given rise to him had gone through stages of weapons development, but the one thing that they hadn't managed to get right was the propulsion of kinetic projectiles via chemical means. 
It had eluded them for so long that all major scientific institutions concluded that it was basically impossible. Once they had pulse gravity drive and they easily got into space, the energy weapons such as a gluon gun and the neutrino rifle were extremely powerful for their size. Their weapons were powerful for chemical propellants, Koalak reported. They had armored vehicles moving in linked treads and large kinetic weapons on top. These could only withstand up to ten gluon shots, but they could fire three or four shots while we were waiting for the gluon coils to re-energize for a single shot. They were knocking out the emplacements faster than we were putting them up. That's bad, yes, but armored vehicles are always vulnerable to being swarmed, Braash said pointedly. Why did you not do this? Because they had infantry with similar versions of this weapon. Koalak made a gesture of despair, smaller than a neutrino rifle, but they fired much faster and had almost as much penetration. They made a noise like a ducker ducker ducker, but when their weapons ran dry of their ammunition, they crouched behind cover and put more in there, in less time than it takes to talk about it. Prarash didn't like the sound of this. Typically, it took the time to eat a good meal to recharge a neutrino rifle, but he still didn't have the full image. He also had armored fighting vehicles. They mount gluon cannons. Could your infantry not support those? Ka'alak closed the ocular organs for a moment. We tried, he whispered. We really did try, sir. The second ventured, but there was the other thing. The other thing? Praash somehow knew he wasn't going to like this. It wasn't due to any kind of prescient ability, just superb pattern recognition. Yes, Kalak made a gesture of extreme unhappiness. We were dug in pretty well, interlocking fields of fire, men swapping out and keeping them guessing. They couldn't advance on us, and we'd gotten a lucky shot in one of their armored monstrosities, so its kinetic cannon was out of action. And then we heard it. Prarash didn't want to ask the question. Heard what? The shrieking sound, Kawalak's voice, was one who had traveled through the most unpleasant locations in the galaxy and came out the other side. Alive, but forever changed by the experience. Prarash had decided that he probably fit the description. And then what? Prarash knew the likes of the Kawalak would not be cowed by mere silence. And then... They came over the hill, flying low, actual aerodynes, not grav lifters, wide wings, two modules towards the tail that were making a noise. I think that they were propulsion, making a noise like a fur pet when its tail is caught in the door, only magnified by 10,000. They weren't even doing the local speed of sound, but that low down, they looked like they were going fast. Prarash had to agree. Flying subsonics was one thing, but piloting something without grav lifters so low that terrain masked one's approach was quite another thing altogether. Still, there was something that was puzzling, so they were noisy. Where's the problem? The problem was, that wasn't the noise we should have been worried about. Koalak turned his optics towards his fellow officers. They all made shaky gestures of assent. What we heard then was a brrrt. He shuddered, as if cold. Burt, echoed the other officers, all emulating the shudder. Brush couldn't tell they had been fundamentally changed by the experience. What do you mean by Burt? demanded Brush. What does that mean? 
Kalak inflated his primary lungs. It means, sir, that they had a weapon on that aircraft that fired dozens of times per second, putting holes larger than my fist in infantry and turning our armored fighters into leaking hulks full of gore. Where they didn't just explode instead, the noise it made was... How? demanded Parash. How are they making chemical kinetic weapons that are so powerful and fast-firing? Nobody knew the answer to that one. Neither had he expected them to. Very well, he decided. Write your reports. I'll send them in with mine. Dismissed. With luck, he'd get an answer back and permission to open diplomatic relations before the Terrans figure out how to fix the dropships that they'd captured and came off planet looking for the perpetrators. One by one, the remainder of the officer corps filed out and he went back to his writing station. The mission was an abject failure and soon he would be finding out where the Terrans were forgiving type. Brrrt, he whispered, feeling the shivers almost supernatural fear that had permeated the room earlier. He hadn't been there, and he was still scared of the sound. One such thing, he mused, rested on the fate of the galaxy, a single, simple sound. Brrrt. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed, and if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video, and if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode, and I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.